In 2 Samuel 8, 6, we read that the Lord helped or saved David wherever he went. You know, the Lord has made a promise to us. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Or as Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. God helped David, and he will help us as we serve him and fight the battles of the kingdom of God in his power and for his glory. We'll look at that more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. You live in a country right now, let me just remind you, that was really uh, purchased with the blood of many people. The, the wars that have been fought over the years, our military people, we could argue about the right and wrongness of each war, but people shed their blood that you might be free. I know a young man who used to call me from Afghanistan, and he, was, he did two tours there. And I asked him how he was doing, and he was meeting with the chaplain and stuff, and he would call me for prayer. And he said his favorite verse was, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he was willing to die for this nation and to die for our freedom. And so sometimes in our everyday life, we forget that people paid the ultimate sacrifice for you to be in a country that is free. And there's always going to be a struggle for freedom. There's always going to be enemies of what's right and true and just. And it's going to be a battle. Now, today in the church, we don't fight with physical weapons. We are in a spiritual battle, right? And we have the armor of God, but it's not physical weapons. It's things that are given to us spiritually to battle. But the analogies still hold. The, the struggle is still true for us as Christians today. The Christian life is not easy. To do the right thing is not easy. So here is how David had to realize the peace and this is 2 Samuel 8, verse 1. It says, now after this, and I believe, again, we have to think thematically, not necessarily strictly chronologically. It came about that David defeated the Philistines. We're going to see David move in four different directions. You could imagine just a cross for a second. And he's going to move in four different geographic directions. First, he's going to deal with enemies in the West, the Philistines, largely on the coastal plain. David defeated the Philistines, just marking your margin there, west, and subdued them. David took control of the chief city, uh, some of your versions say Mepheg Amah, from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were a constant thorn in the side of Israel. And just a side note, Mepheg Amah literally means the bridle of the mother city. And most believe, if you take the cross-reference of 1 Chronicles 18, verse 1, that it's the city of Gath the main city of the five of the Philistines. The Philistines were constantly attacking Israel. Uh, if you do a concordant search in First and Second Samuel, just search how many times the Philistines come up. And it seems like at every time the Israelis turned around, the Philistines were attacking. At one point, the Philistines even steal the Ark of God. They steal the Ark of the Covenant. And so they were a thorn in Israel's side, and uh, 
Saul tried to deal with them and he had some victories over them and Israel had some victories and losses. There were casualties on both sides. But finally, David has uh, subdued them. Verse one, he took control of the city, probably of Gath, from the hand of the Philistines. Finally, the Philistines were conquered. They come up in the book of Judges as well. Uh, We often see the Philistines in a single individual named Goliath, right? Goliath was taunting the uh, armies of Israel. Nobody wanted to fight him except, who was it? Young David. And he hit him right between the eyes. Down went Goliath, right? And so we talk about giants in our life and difficulties, and David went after the giant. And finally, the Philistines were subdued. He defeated in the east, if you're uh, just marking the geographic locations of the taking the promised land, he defeated Moab in the east. And this is going to be brutal, but here it is. Measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death, one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Now, as uh, war went on, and you have to see this in the context of war, and I know it's a brutal thing to, to see, but here's what it is. They would take who they didn't kill in battle and sometimes lay them on the ground and measure them out. The measuring line could be two purposes. One, to measure the height and to spare young ones. Or it was simply, if you were in the one-third, you were spared. And I will warn parents that some of this is some mature content. If you, if you want the heads up right now, I should have said that at the beginning. But anyway, this is, this is what it is. So, and uh, some were spared and others were killed. And so the Moabites who survived this were bringing David tribute. I will say this to you. The Bible does not comment on the right and wrongness of David's actions. This is just the reality of war. And you had to deal with the enemy, and some of the enemy could be taken captive, but it was usually limited numbers and numbers that you could control. And uh, I will also say a spiritual application is that at the end of the age, there are going to be two lines. There's going to be those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. There's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff. This is just the reality. Which line are you going to be in when it's all said and done? There are are going to be some to whom Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And there will be others that he says to them, depart from me. You who work iniquity, I, what? Never knew you. So here's the reality of what the Bible teaches. There is a heaven to gain by the grace of God and a hell to shun. Calvin captures the tone of the text when he says, the stringency which David exercised against the Moabites ought not to be considered cruelty, but to be just the just judgment of God, since they had abused his long patience and had mocked him. The Moabites were also a constant problem. If you write down 2 Kings 13, 20, when Elisha died, they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land of Israel in the spring of the year. Seems every spring they would come and they would do more and more damage, the Moabites. Now, I will say this. In David's own lineage, there was a Moabitess whose name was Ruth. And if you write down Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, 
you'll see that a Moabitess was in the line of King David. So it is interesting that even enemies can become right with God. Now, David defeated, verse 3, Hadaditsar. That's, we're now going north. The son of Rehob, the son of the Rehob king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. Now, all animal lovers are now going to be offended as well. <laughs> to hamstring a horse was not to kill it, but to cut a tendon in the back legs to make it unusable in battle. And this would be like if you had to deal with the military and you had to somehow make sure that their weapons would not be used against you, you might disable their tanks. It's that kind of thing. The king was also told in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 through 20, he was not to multiply horses to himself or wives. David did not multiply horses to himself. But he did multiply wives, and so did Solomon. And so you ask the question, well, why did God say this to the king? Way back in Deuteronomy, under the leadership of Moses, there was no king at the time. Why this warning? Because God knew that if they had a multitude of horses, they would trust in horses and chariots instead of the Lord. So sometimes what God does is he makes us Stay at a place where we have a healthy reliance upon him. He knows which of us can handle a lot of possessions and which of us need to live lean and mean. Amen? I mean, we, we make declarations like, if I won the lotto, the first things that I would do, I would pay off the church. Praise God. I pray you win the lotto if that's <laughs> your true desire. I want that in writing, though. Right? And I would help this, and I would help the Sisters of Mercy, and I would help this, right? But you know what? Money and possessions have corrupted many, many people. In fact, those who want to get rich, 1 Timothy 6, get themselves into trouble and often pierce themselves through with many a pang, many foolish desires. So we have to be careful. So David captured 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, that's obviously some big numbers. He disabled the horses, and he did this to a man named Hadadetzer. Ironically, his name means Hadad is my help. You say, well, who's Hadad? Hadad was the personal name of an ancient pagan deity. He was the storm god whose name means the one who smashes. Well, the one who smashes apparently was on vacation that day because Hadadetzer got taken by the true god, and David, of course, won that battle. And when the Arameans, some of your versions say the Syrians in verse 5 of Damascus, located immediately north of Israel, came to help Hadadetzar. So they heard that he was battling with uh, David, king of Zobah. David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped or literally saved David wherever he went. So David now moving up to the north and taking the original promised borders that were given way back to Abraham as he was told to walk the land. And the land of Israel, by the way, is a very expansive original promise that was given. 
And more and more, through the political tension around Israel, they are squeezing the borders. Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped or literally saved David wherever he went. So David now moving up to the north and taking the original promised borders that were given way back to Abraham as he was told to walk the land. And the land of Israel, by the way, is a very expansive original promise that was given. And more and more, through the political tension around Israel, they are squeezing the borders. But the original biblical borders were quite expansive. And in fact, they are realized under David's leadership. David, verse 7, took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem, now his capital city. So he took the shields of gold. They were probably more for uh, purposes of showing who they belonged to, and he took them to Jerusalem. And from Batah and Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toy, he was the first action figure in history, by the way, what? Might be pronounced toy, but I like toy. I like toys. Anyway, king of Hamath, that's about 100 miles north of Damascus. So further north, Damascus in Syria, then you're going more north. Heard that David had defeated the army of Hadadetzer. Toy or Toi sent Joram to this, uh, his son to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadetzer. And defeated him, for Hadadetzar had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. If something like this, let me shake your hand. Thank you for defeating my enemy. I've been at war with these people, and David helped out, and so they brought him articles of silver, gold, and bronze. And King David also, verse 11, dedicated these to the Lord. Key phrase, he dedicated them. With the silver and gold, that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and Moab and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines and Amalek. Uh, note that the Amalekites were a big problem for Israel as well, something Saul failed to do, by the way. From the spoil of Hadadetzer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. Now David, upon winning all of these wars, took... Um, like Israel had done to Egypt as they walked out with the gold and so forth, took them and dedicated them to the Lord. What do you think they were dedicated for? What was David's dream? To build the temple. 
And David did everything but build that temple. He collected the gold and the silver and the bronze. He drew up the plans. He even scheduled the workers. But Solomon actually would build the temple. But David did everything next to building it. And this is how a lot of the materials were gathered for Solomon's temple through David's victories. 1 Kings 7, 51 says, Thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished. 1 Kings 7, 51 and Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And so David made a name for himself. And when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans, again, we're dealing with war, in the Valley of Salt, that may be near the Sea of Salt or the Dead Sea, he put garrisons in Edom. Now we're talking about the south. In all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. Now, Edom comes from Esau. Probably the closest familial relationship here. But remember, we were told uh, in the book of Genesis that the uh, older would what? Serve the younger. And now this is being realized as Edom comes under the uh, rulership of Israel under King David. So the Edomites also did their share of damage. You might remember there was an Edomite named Dog who killed many of the uh, Jewish priests in 1 Samuel under the direction of Saul. And he was really a, a brutal individual. Now I want to show you Psalm 60. If you turn to your right for a second, Psalm 60. This is a recapturing of some of the battles that David faced and specifically what we just read about. I want you to see the nature of the struggle uh, don't have in your mind that David just walked into these places and won battles without struggles and casualties and difficulties. See the heading of Psalm 60. It says, For the choir director, according to Shushan Eduth, a mictum of David to teach when he struggled with Aram Nahrim and with Aram Zobah. And Joab returned and smote 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Now, it would appear that as David was battling another group in the north, he was attacked from the south. And here's what Psalm 60 says. O God, thou hast rejected us. Thou hast broken us. Thou hast become angry. O restore us. Thou hast made the land quake. Thou hast split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. Thou hast made thy people experience hardship. Thou hast given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. Thou hast given a banner to those who fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah, that means pause. Think about it. That thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. I will exult. I will portion out Shechem. Measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, verse 7, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Has not thou thyself, O God, rejected us? Will thou not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we shall do valiantly. And it is he who will tread down our adversaries. Turn back to 2 Samuel. So you can see the struggle as David records um, things that they went through as a nation. I will say this to you. The chains of justice 
sometimes grind slowly. Each of these nations attacked Israel, some of them on multiple occasions. And what happened was, finally, God says, we're going to remember what Amalek did to the stragglers when we were going out of Egypt. We're going to remember what Moab did when the uh, king tried to curse Israel and tried to get Balaam to curse them. We're going to remember what Edom did. We're going to remember. And just because the, the justice is not poured out immediately on a person or on a nation, God is like an elephant. He never forgets. Now, he does choose to forget our sins and our iniquities when we what? Trust in Jesus. He remembers them no more. Now, God doesn't unlearn things, but he chooses not to hold them against us. And so David, 2 Samuel 8, 15, reigned over all Israel. David administered justice and righteousness, something that we see in Revelation that Jesus does for all his people. This is when David now is finally realizing the peace on all sides. It was not without a struggle. And quickly, here's his cabinet. Joab, verse 16, the son of Zuariah, was over the army. We've seen Joab before. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahulud, was the recorder, likely a person of high rank. Zadok, 17, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, I didn't practice these names, I should have this week, were priests. And that guy, also known as Shiva, was the secretary. And Benaiah, which means the Lord builds or the Lord prevails, the son of Jehoiada was over the Cherethites and Pelethites. They may have been bodyguards for David. And David's sons were chief ministers. Some of them say priests, unlikely. They were probably more chief ministers. The conquering leader, the one who administers justice and righteousness, One day he will rule with a rod of iron. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This is is how God is. He loves justice, but he also loves loving kindness and mercy. And we're going to see now in chapter 9, the loving kindness and mercy of King David. So let's pick it up. 2 Samuel 9, look at verse 1. Then David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? That's the Hebrew word hased. We've seen that many times in Hosea and in this book. For Jonathan's sake, is there anyone that I could be kind to for the sake of Jonathan? The word hased, kindness there, means mercy and protection. It speaks of loyal love, of a covenant. It refers, one writer says, to extraordinary acts of kindness, meeting an extreme need outside the normal run of perceived duty, arising from personal affection or pure goodness. The relationship between Jonathan and David was one of brotherly kindness. In fact, they had made a covenant with one another. 2 Peter 1, verse 7 says, In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. If you have these qualities, if they're yours and increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Are you kind? Would it be said of you that you're a kind person? Kindness, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Goodness, kindness. And when you are kind to someone, it often becomes a doorway for the gospel. 
You just show somebody kindness and they say, why did you do that for me? What's, what's your motive? And you just say, I have no motive other than to show you kindness and the kindness that I've realized in Jesus. So the question comes from the king. When the king asks the question, everybody's listening, right? Who can we show kindness to? Is there anybody left, right? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul, verse 2, whose name was Zebra. He was an ancient referee uh, for football. Oh, it's not Zebra. I'm sorry. It's Zeba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Zeba? And he said, I am your servant. So all of a sudden, this man, Zeba, is found and called in. Notice in verse 2, he's a servant of the house of Saul. Many believe he was an estate manager for Saul. Saul, of course, is dead. And the king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Notice, I want to show them God's kindness. And Zeba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now, if you remember in chapter 4, we got the backstory of a young man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth may mean uh, breath of shame or shameful breath. So try not to call anybody Mephibosheth around you because, or offer them a tic-tac if you, anyway. And so he says, yeah, there is someone and he's a son of Jonathan. Jonathan died in that battle as well. And he's crippled in both his feet. And here's the backstory. When the word came that Saul and Jonathan and Saul's sons were killed on the battlefield, the nurse for Mephibosheth, and he was five years old at the time, heard the news and thought that whoever had conquered the king and his sons would come to kill the remaining son. So she quickly tried to run out of the house with Mephibosheth and she dropped him and he became, remember, lame in both of his feet. He was disabled. And so it would appear that from this time, when he was five until now, he's now 21 years old. He has his own son, and he's probably been in hiding this whole time. Remember, he was only five when Jonathan perished and Saul perished. Grandpa would have told really bad stories about David because Grandpa was jealous of David and wanted to kill him. Jonathan would have told really positive state, uh, stories about David. But remember, when they die, Mephibosheth is five. How much do you remember from when you were five. Now, some of you have recollections from when you were two. I don't know how you do that. I was in my crib, and there was the little dangly animals going around and around, and I was... Blah, blah, blah. I don't have any memories like that. How many of you have a memory from when you were five? Oh, my goodness. You, you guys are smart. Anyway, so you might have some selective memories. I don't know that Mephibosheth had anything but maybe some mental images. I don't know if he remembered anything. I don't know what he knew about David, but David had become the king of the nation. What do you think he might have been thinking? I need to stay in hiding because usually when kings rose to the throne, they got rid of all claimants to the throne. And so he was likely in hiding. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, 
Search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.